Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) All right, well... If you're just joining us now online, or if you're here as a guest this morning, welcome. My name's Ian. I have the privilege of being the pastor here, and I'd like to open up the scriptures together. And you won't believe, but this morning in my Bible reading was included Psalm 27, which is featured a couple times in our service today. And when these kind of things occur... You hear the voice of the Lord because there's it's about 37,000 verses in the Bible. And for the very ones that you're going to preach on to turn up several times in the same morning is that. And especially verses, let's see, verse 4 which says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And what is the house of the Lord but the place where the presence of God dwells? To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And the word there, to gaze, can also be translated to meditate or to contemplate the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And this morning, as we bring our four weeks of practicing the presence of God through the habit of prayer, we're talking about prayer as being with God. Prayer as meditation, as contemplation. And so, that's why that verse in the Psalms is so perfect for what the Lord, I believe, has for us this morning as we study Scripture together. And we're in the middle of this Practicing the Presence series. It's not just a teaching series, it's a practice series together, pursuing three habits that we observe in the life of Jesus, because to be a Christian is to be a student of Jesus in the school of life, learning how to think, feel, and act as he would if he were you. In your life, in your everyday circumstances, inhabiting the presence of God moment by moment, just like Jesus did, how would he think? How would he speak? How would he act? And the things that formed him into the person that he was was not just effort in the moment, it was the habits of his life. Because our habits are shaping us in every single moment. You're not only a human being, but a human becoming. And so this morning we're talking about the habit of prayer, and particularly the habit of prayer as being with God. Prayer is the essence of relationship with God. And that's why I open this, this, these four weeks by saying that the quality of your prayer life is the measure of your relationship with God. 
because the conversation, this, this prayer conversation with God is not only how relationship happens, it is the relationship. The conversation is the relationship. And so it's not just the uh, conversation that's an indicator of the relationship. The conversation is the relationship. It is the how of relationship. So if you think of any kind of relationship just in everyday life, there's four kinds of levels of intimacy that you see in different kinds of, of conversation. So the first level would just be any kind of conversation, the most basic level conversation. If you picture yourself in the supermarket and you get to the, the checkout aisle, most of the time, honestly, I am trying to you know, get through as quick as possible, pay for the stuff and leave, right? I'm not really trying to make any real conversation. And yet there is a basic fundamental level of, okay, how much is it? Can I use a card? Boom. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> right? It's a purely transactional, I'm not really having a conversation with the person, I'm just talking to them. And in the same way, I think often our prayer life with God, if we have zero relationship with God, that's, that's the entryway. It's talking to God. It's asking him questions, petitions. It's, it's, it's making requests of God. And so that's an essential level of relationship because without that, there can be no relationship at all. But thankfully, there's much more than that. So we've been delving into that in these last few weeks. Now, imagine, just to keep the supermarket thing going, imagine you go back to the same place and you see the same checkout person every single time. And so now you begin to get a little bit further, maybe. You push yourself and you begin to ask, not just how much is it, but how are you? How are you today? <laughs> maybe you see them, day, you know, like every time you go for years on end, and, and, and now you start to begin to have a conversation with them. You're not only talking to them, you're speaking with them. All right? And now imagine you want to take, so we, we go from talking to God to talking with God. And then last week, we were talking about listening to God. So Stuart Bell gave us some really practical and, and just great examples of, of what does it look like to learn to hear the voice of God how do we learn and, and weigh whether we are hearing the voice of God? And so that's, that's, that's a fundamental question. There's really no more important thing in life than hearing the voice of God. The question of whether or not God has spoken. And can you hear him? Can you know him? And the answer is yes. So if you missed that message, I just encourage you to, to go back and, and, and watch that because there's some great um, things for us to learn in that. So at that point, if you actually go beyond just that talking to, talking with, and you actually have a friendship, well, there's times when with your friend, you're just going to sit and listen to them. Sometimes you just want to hear from them what's going on in their life. You're not even really saying much. You're just hearing from them. And so today we want to get into an even further stage, which is what happens when you become so familiar, so intimate in a friendship or, or a relationship that you learn to just be together. You can actually kind of measure the intimacy in a relationship by the amount of time that you're able to sit together in silence and not feel awkward, right? The closest people in your life 
whether it's friends or family or, or maybe a spouse, you can often just sit there for quite a while and never even think to talk, and yet you're still communicating love and acceptance and, and simply wanting to be with that person. And so, you know, sometimes I envy older couples who've been together 30, 40, 50 years, and they'll just, just sit there together. You'll see them act like Cracker Barrel together, just eating. And you can tell they just absolutely love and adore each other, and yet there's no need to, you know, yak the whole time. <laughs> and it's a level of intimacy that you really only build after long periods of being with a person. And so you never really grow out, even if you get to that stage, you never really grow out of the first three, right? You still have to ask questions. You still have to listen. You still have to have a conversation with the other person. You never grow out of those things. And yet, as intimacy builds and gets deeper, the less and less words are often needed. And so we want to talk about being with God today. We're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to read from verses 17 and 18. And as I mentioned, this is a practice series that we're in together. And so the point of all this is we're learning the habits of Jesus so that we can become like him. Romans 8 says the reason that a person is called is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. In other words, that he draws you into relationship with him so that he can shape you to look like him, to think, feel, act. And so the only, really, the only way we do that, it's not just on our own, it's by practicing this way of Jesus along with other people. And so we've got groups meeting all across the Lehigh Valley that are meeting weekly or bi-weekly. And if you haven't joined a group, you can do that. Today's a perfect day to do that. And you can go to nc4.org forward slash practice and you can find a listing of all the groups. Okay, so let's read 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, which says, Now the, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the Word of God. So the context of this passage, this is written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church that he planted in the city of Corinth. And the, the, the thrust of what he's writing is that he's, he's trying to get them not just to settle for religion, but to actually press into relationship with God. And so he's drawing this comparison between following the law of Moses and following the life of the Spirit the Holy Spirit, what it means to live and walk with him. And so as we talk about intimacy in prayer and and Paul's drawing our minds to Moses, if you think of 
anyone in the whole Bible who would demonstrate a life of intimate prayer with God. You could really, it'd be hard to beat Moses, right? So Moses was known as a man who spoke with God as a, as a man speaks to his friend, it says. That God spoke to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So this is a, an intimate kind of relationship. It was absolutely unique. And so Paul, in, in what we just read, he's drawing his readers' minds back to Exodus 34. And in Exodus 34, it's the chapter where Moses says, God, show me your glory. And God passes before him and declares his name, the Lord, the Lord, merciful. And, and it's this famous part of the Old Testament And so Moses has this incredible experience of of seeing the glory of God, and he comes down from the mountain, and he doesn't realize that his face is glowing. His face is shining. And he's so bright, his face is so radiant, that the people were afraid of him. Can you imagine that? It's kind of strange, right? And he's... He's glowing. I mean, you would probably be scared if you saw a glowing person, right? <laughs> You'd probably think it's a UFO. And so what he does is he, he begins to wear a veil. And when he's communicating with the people what God has given him on the mountain, he wears a veil when he's speaking to the people. And then when he enters the presence of the Lord again, he removes the veil. And so you can go read that passage in Exodus 34. But Think about, okay, so Paul is drawing our minds back to that story when he talks about the veil. And what he's actually saying is, in Christ, because the Holy Spirit dwells within you, what used to be the special privilege of Moses is now the birthright of every child of God. That thing that Moses got to experience that was a one-off, incredible, you know, moment of seeing God's glory, Paul says that is actually open and available to every single daughter and son of God in Christ. And so the Spirit promises to live inside of every single person that belongs to Jesus, and that means there is utter freedom. We don't need to have the fear that the people had in seeing Moses' face. We don't need to have the the fear and trepidation of entering God's presence like people did under the old covenant. You know, no one could enter the, the, the presence of God's holiness in the temple or the tabernacle because they they weren't worthy. The, whole, the, the high priest one time a year could enter into that place. And yet Paul's saying, because you are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you become the place where heaven meets earth. And so there is absolute freedom by the Holy Spirit. We can enter into God's presence with an unveiled face, in other words, in order to contemplate, to gaze upon the glory of God. So that word contemplate that we read in chapter 3 here 
it's elsewhere translated to behold or to gaze upon. It's the same idea that we encountered in, in Psalm 27. So that's why my, my heart kind of leapt as I read that this morning and, you know, two or three times more as we read it in the service today. It's like, yes, this is it. And so it leads us to talking about a kind of prayer that is contemplating or simply, you could, you could talk about it as gazing at the glory of God. So the first point is this, that contemplative prayer is to gaze upon the glory of God. And here's the thing. Paul is not just saying that you get to do this. You do. But what he's saying is, because you get to do this, this is how you are transformed into the image of Christ. We're transformed into his image as we contemplate, as we behold his glory we begin to reflect it. And think of the moon. You see it. The only reason you can see it is because it's reflecting the brilliance, the radiance, the glory of the sun, right? And so it's not only that he's saying for us. It's not only that we reflect the glory. We do, but he says, actually, as we reflect it, as we behold it, we are transformed more and more by it. And so the word he uses is actually metamorphosis. It's a word that we learn in, you know, biology class of of what happens when a caterpillar goes to a butterfly, right? It's It's a transformation. And so what Paul's saying basically is that every follower of Jesus, as they behold the glory of God, as they look at and contemplate the glory of God, is undergoing this never ending metamorphosis this never-ending transformation. In other words, to follow Jesus is to begin that never-ending process of being transformed into what? Into someone that looks like him. More and more, from glory to glory. More glory, more glory, more glory. And there's the, the, the cool thing is it never reaches the stopping point. God is infinite in glory, And so for all eternity, it's this continuing, never-ending process from glory to glory to glory. It's it's really impossible for us to grasp. But the, the, the principle that we see here is this. You become what you behold. You become what you behold. That's our next point. And it's not only true in this particular example, it's actually true of anything, all right? So if you if, think about it, you become what you behold. What you fixate on, what you set your eyes and your attention on begins to shape you. So if you're a person, I'm thinking of the movie like Wall Street. There's this character, Gordon Gecko, and he fixates on money, And for a person that just fixates on money, you often find more and more they begin to be shaped by that. And now everything in their life becomes about money. The way they treat people becomes more and more transactional. The way they conduct themselves, more and more everything is up for sale. More and more, everything uh, has a price tag to it. For people who set their sights on 
politics and all they do is consume, you know, certain news media, if it's angry or if it's, you know, like just (laughs) full of what, you know, angry language that dehumanizes people, more and more you find that person becoming more and more angry, more and more, you know, disdainful towards other people. And it, it just, it happens with anything. It's, and it's actually, it's a principle that's, that's, it comes out of neuroscience. We're, our brains have these things called mirror neurons that the reason they exist is to, to copy what we see. So it's born out in neuroscience. Andrew Newberg is a uh, secular neuroscience at Jefferson University in Philadelphia. He published a book. Get this, he's, he's, he's not a believer, he published a book called How God Changes Your Brain. And it's, it's not a Christian book. All that he's arguing is that our brains are actually wired to interact with, with God. All right? Now, he's coming at it from maybe like an evolutionary thing. And he's not saying that God is really there. He's just saying our brains are wired as if God is really there, which makes me say, well, why not just go the extra step? <laughs> But basically, I mean, just listen to the blurb from the back of the book, okay? Andrew Newberg, MD, and therapist Mark Robert Waldman offer the following breakthrough discoveries. Not only do prayer and spiritual practice reduce stress, but just 12 minutes of meditation per day may slow down the aging process. Contemplating a loving God rather than a punitive God reduces anxiety and depression and increases feelings of security, compassion, and love. Check this out. Intense prayer and meditation permanently change numerous structures and functions in the brain, altering your values and the way you perceive reality. I want to read this book. (laughs) But you're... And you can, you can look him up on YouTube and stuff. You become what you behold. What you contemplate, what you fixate on, shapes your brain chemistry. And so, Andrew Newberg, the, the author of that um, book, he's become, that was like a 10-year-old book, and since then he's, he seems to have become an advocate for meditation, and there's a ton of studies. If you just look up the, the benefits of meditation, there's a ton of studies on the benefits of, you know, for mental health. Mindfulness is super trendy. It's all over the place. It's in, it, you know, schools are promoting it. Corporate workplaces are promoting it more and more. And there's no denying these are super valuable practices. Now, some of us might be wary that this is all kind of new age. And it is. (laughs) Actually, I think most of what we see in culture is kind of just like a secularized Buddhist practice. But here's the fun part, and you got to promise not to tell anybody this, okay? (laughs) Christians have been doing this for thousands of years. And Jews before us. Did you read what, what King David said in Psalm 27? I will meditate on the face, the beauty of God in the temple. One thing I ask that I can meditate on your beauty all the days of my life. So, this is not just a a new age thing for us, but there is an important difference, okay? 
Now, I want to point out, every, virtually every religious system in the world has prayer. Virtually every religious system in the world has some form of meditation. And so we're no different. And yet we have to ask the question, okay, does that mean that they're all the same? Are we just doing exactly the same thing as Muslims do, as Buddhists do, as Baha'i, or you know, whoever do? The principle is this. You become what you behold, all right? And so the question is not so much, is this an absolutely distinct spiritual practice that only exists within Christianity? The question is, what are you contemplating? What are you setting your mind on? And so this is a difference that makes a huge difference. Because when you look at mindfulness and you look at kind of Buddhist meditation, the aim is to empty your mind, completely. It's aiming you towards the goal of nothingness. The reality, it's, it's, I mean, ultimately, in its Buddhist roots, it's to enlighten you to the fact that you are nothing. That reality itself is nothing. It does not exist. And so, The goal is nothingness. Now, what Jesus practiced, what Christians and Jews have practiced, is very different. It's not emptying our minds for nothingness. It's clearing our minds to be filled with the presence of the living God. The goal is not nothingness. The goal of Christian meditation is love. It's love. And so, to be specific... The next point here is that Christian contemplation is meditating on the Trinitarian God. And I need to be really specific about that because it's not just anything you want to set your mind on. And it's also not setting your mind on nothing. It's specifically fixing your mind on God. Meditating on the triune God who is love. And what Paul says is, Paul you know, 2,000 years before neuroscience comes along and confirms it, he says, you become what you behold. And as you contemplate the glory of the triune God, he says, you're transformed bit by bit into his image. You become more and more like the Trinitarian God. Now, what what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, just think about, for a minute, Think about who this God is. He's love. The Bible says that twice. He is love. He is light. He is the source of truth and beauty and goodness. And he's unlimited in all those things. And so it means that our relationship with him is this infinite journey from glory to glory to glory. It never ends. And so I always say this. this is one of my favorite sayings that I've come up with is, God's the only good thing that never comes to an end. The more and more you get of him, the more and more there is to enjoy, to love. And so it truly gets more and more glorious. And so in prayer, as we move from petitioning, we move from conversing, we move on even from listening we begin to experience the simple enjoyment of his presence. The simple enjoyment of being in the presence of the God who is love. And so kind of like old 
lovers or old friends, we don't need to say anything. We can just be in each other's presence and enjoy it. And so it really, I stress this because, you know, this mindfulness and meditation is so uh, common in our culture now. But it, it really could not be more different than contemplating or, or trying to meditate on an impersonal universe. It's not just fixing your mind on the oneness of all things. It's not fixating on the nothingness of being. It's contemplating the one who is love. And it's not trying to change anything. It's not trying to influence anything. It's not really trying to do anything. The point is this. Contemplative prayer is simply to receive God's love. And so this this really fits, it really dovetails perfectly with our previous practice, which was the habit of Sabbath, because Sabbath was slowing down, resting for one full day a week so that we could enjoy God and worship him. And so as we talked about at length in that, in that section of the series, as you get that habit of setting aside one day of the week, it begins to change how you live the other six days. You begin to have the Sabbath not just as one portion of the week, but it begins to enter every moment of your time. It becomes a posture of your heart. And so in this kind of prayer, we not only have these, you know, one day a week, but it's actually, I like the phrase that John Mark Comer says, it becomes, contemplative prayer becomes a portable Sabbath. It becomes entering into that posture of rest and love and acceptance in God that we practice in Sabbath, but you can get it in these moments of just being with him. So contemplative prayer is a portable Sabbath. And for all these reasons, we begin to see why this, this thing of contemplative prayer is so, it can be so transformative. Scripture and science agree It's because this is how our brains are wired. You become what you behold. I'm saying that so much because I want you to remember that particular thing. You become what you behold. So it matters what you behold. It matters what you contemplate. And so that impacts the media we consume, the the things that we set our hearts on, that we fixate on. And not only that, it matters that we're fixating ourselves, that we're, we're contemplating a true picture of who God is. If you're picturing a God, if you're setting your heart and you're, you know, it'd be very hard to do this, I think, but if you're, if you're setting your sight and trying to contemplate God and yet your picture of God is way off, you're picturing God as this kind of angry ogre in the sky who just can't wait to catch you in sin so he can smite you. It's going to shape a very different outcome in who you come to be. You're probably going to turn into a religious ogre who can't wait to catch other people in sin so that you can smite them with your words and your judgment. 
So you see, the, the picture of God that you're setting on, that you're contemplating, has this massive outcome on how your character begins to be shaped. But when you have an accurate picture of God, and here's the thing, Jesus doesn't just look like God. Here, the amazing thing that the New Testament tells us is that God looks like Jesus. Is the God that you're contemplating, that you're aiming to spend time with and build a relationship with, does he look like Jesus? Does his voice sound like Jesus? The one who looked at the woman caught in adultery and says, is there anyone to condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. I love you, I accept you. Now go, sin and now go stop sinning. <laughs> but the point is you begin from a place of love, acceptance, invitation. And so the beauty of this kind of prayer is that it's not aiming at getting anything but God himself. And so I want to encourage you that, that this kind of prayer, contemplative prayer, is for everyone. It's for everyone. It's not only for monks and nuns and especially saintly people. It's for everyone. But it's challenging for all the same reasons that Sabbath was challenging. This is, it, this is challenging for us. Because what it takes is slowing down enough, quieting your mind and your heart enough to just be with God. And so if you've ever attempted any kind of, of you know, meditation or contemplative prayer, you know just how easily your mind gets distracted by anything, right? All of a sudden, you remember and you have an urge to like, go weed the garden when you've, you know, you've never wanted to do that before. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, man, I really should do that. You know, these weird kind of distractions seem to come out of nowhere. And so I just want to encourage you that if, if you experience that as you try this, it doesn't mean you're this horrible, you know, shallow person. It just means that you're human, <laughs> all right? And it means that you inhabit this, this crazy distraction culture that, that we all do. And so I want to encourage you to, to push through that because as we push through the distraction and the, the fear and the, the hurry that we experience as we try and do this, we press into more and more peace and, and presence of God in this kind of prayer. And so pushing through all those things takes practice. So don't be too hard on yourself. <laughs> Some of us have been doing this for a long time, and we know how much it took to push through that. And others of us have never tried this because anytime we've tried, it's been really tough. Give yourself some grace. If you're like super extroverted and you think, oh, well, you know, I'm not good at that because I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I have too much energy. Every one of us experiences the same kind of thing, all right? It's not an extrovert-introvert thing. Push through it. It takes practice, all right? And there's some good tools to use to help us take, to, to get through it. But I want to encourage you to get through it because it's worth it. It's really worth it. All right, so we've talked about several methods and practical approaches through this series already. But here's the thing. Information does not equal transformation. So me telling you these things is not ultimately going to change your life. It's only going to change your life if you practice it. <laughs> so simple things like this, all right? And we, we looked at it in these last few weeks. Decide on a time 
schedule a time where you're going to say, this is going to be my time for prayer. And I'm going to set it apart every day. The posture of your body this last week and listening to God was encouraging us to, you know, sit up on an upright chair. I have to listen to this. You know, if I sit on a couch early in the morning, I fall asleep. (laughs) So I've started kneeling because it's harder to fall asleep when you're on your knees, right? It just is, right? Sit on a, you know, like a, a dining room chair rather than a couch. Simple things like that. Set a small goal that you can achieve, all right? So don't start out with, you know, this John Wesley four hours of prayer in the morning. Just try and meditate for one minute, all right? Trust me, that is hard enough. So start there. And so for the first week, try a minute. And when you press through that, go to two minutes, right? And build like that. The more and more we practice, the more and more natural it becomes, all right? So, and just, just ask yourself the question, what could God begin to change in you as you begin to contemplate his glory, his love, his person, even for just one minute a day? Even just one minute a day, if you, if you don't already have that, can be absolutely transformative, all right? So our exercise for this week to close is... Building on the past three weeks, so we're not getting rid of the past three weeks. We're, we're continuing with those and building on them. But the exercise for this week is to begin your daily prayer rhythm with silence and what's called a breath prayer. All right, so all of this, I'm going to give you a couple tips, but all this is in the, in the practice guide. So first of all, find a quiet, distraction-free as possible place to pray. Think about your body posture and all that stuff. What's going to be most conducive to staying awake or you know, relaxing, to breathing well. And, and take deep breaths. Breathe in slowly, breathe out slowly. And uh, there's a helpful thing called a, a breath prayer that you can do as you breathe. It's just really just a very short prayer, set of words. There's kind of no one right thing so like the Eastern Orthodox Church historically has prayed what's called the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You could turn that into a Trinitarian version and address, you know, in three breaths it's going to take, address the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It could simply be just the name of Jesus. It could be Holy Spirit. It could be Father God. But whatever it is that, that as you're, you're breathing You're focusing your heart and your mind on our God. Um, You could use a phrase from scripture like the Lord is my shepherd or or, there's no one right way to do that. But I just encourage you to find some phrase or, or, or word that will help you slow down and focus your mind and your heart on him. And then when the distractions come and they inevitably will, just set them aside. Maybe you need to write it down, but just set it aside. And every single, you can, you can see every single distraction as another opportunity to turn back to God. <laughs> so that's our exercise for this week. That's your homework. Uh, even if you're not in a group, I'd encourage you to, to give this a try. Um, Thank you for listening to the NC4 podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. 
If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.